Welcome to the Women on Purpose podcast. Get ready to be inspired, moved, and activated with some of the most powerful women who are here to share their stories and their medicine. I'm your host, Asha D. Ramakrishna. Hi, beautiful humans. So before we get started with this episode where I dive into the magic and the importance of sensuality with Elizabeth D'Alto, I want to talk about the energetics of what's happening right now. It is February 17th, 2021. And some of you know that I use a lot of astrology and human design in all my programs and everything I do, but I also look at the patterns, right? Part of like my training being a scientist is that I notice patterns and the pattern that I'm paying attention to is the pattern that a lot of people are feeling this sort of rebirth, this sort of um, being almost constricted, deconstructed, and also being up leveled all at the same time and if you are experiencing that which I know many of you are I think I just want to speak to it and I also want to remind you that it's important like that one of the principles in the priestess code is deconstruct and construct it as your nature and this this thing that we avoid sometimes of having to rebuild ourselves, rebirth ourselves, shed the layers, and really come back into this more real version of who we are, you know, that essence of who we are that we are all on this journey of, right? And for many of us, that process is being quickened because we don't have the distractions that we usually do. I don't know about you, but being February, right about now, I am looking at where am I going to be going to escape the cold <laughs> and the snow. And um, and I'm not doing that for multiple reasons, right? And so I think that people who still have access to distractions in their lives aren't able to be in this honest place that we're being invited into and that we have the privilege to be invited into, which is to take a deeper, closer look at ourselves and really feel, um, feel everything, feel everything and allow that, um, that realness to surface and to be a part of our, our, our growth. And then the thing that I also wanted to tell you was that don't be alarmed. This is going to be here with us. This kind of energy is going to be here with us, but not forever. By the springtime, you should be you should be sensing like by May or so, you should be sensing that things feel a little bit more um, like that, like you've gone through the birth canal, so to speak, right? Like you've gone through that birth canal and now you're feeling like that that leveling up, that up leveling really becomes more available to you. So that's going to come. Don't worry. So if right now you're going through, you know, a little bit of a harder time, get support, get people around you who are going to honor your humanity, but who are also going to hold you to the place of having possibilities for a solution. 
Okay, so today we're going to be talking about healing through our sensuality with Elizabeth D'Alto. Elizabeth is known for her raw, honest, grounded approach to self-help and spirituality, and she specializes in helping women embody self-love, healing, wholeness, and liberation. Her body of work has evolved out of 12-plus years of experience across several fields, including fitness, self-help, wellness, spirituality, coaching, personal development, and healing the last seven of which she spent helping women untame themselves. Everything she does is also informed by her own healing and education around embodiment, energy medicine, self-love, collective liberation, boundaries, body image, trauma, healthy relationships, and identity. Elizabeth is the creator of the Wild Soul Movement and the Wild Soul Archetype Quiz, founder of the Institute of Embodied Living, and host of the Embodied Podcast, which has been downloaded over 3 million times. On a more personal note, she's an avid Latin dancer, novice container, gardener, and has a laugh that has been described as a soul bath of sunshine and joy. Welcome to the beautiful Elizabeth. So, can you hear the heat in the back? (laughs) (laughs) The heat's here. The heat is here. The heat's here. Um, uh, before we start, so you, are you Puerto Rican and did you grow up in New York? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, tell me more before we start. Um, so I grew up on Staten Island. My dad's side of the family, he was raised entirely by his mother's family, which was Puerto Rican. His dad was um, Italian and Puerto Rican, but his he was not in his dad's life. His dad was not in his life at all. So for all intents and purposes, my dad was raised by Puerto Rican women until later on in his life when my grandmother's younger sister got married. And then there were finally like some, some men in his life. But so, so, so funny. My dad cries more than any man I've ever met in my life. He's, he's real in touch with the emotions. Um, and then my mom's side of the family, my grandpa uh, was Italian, and then my grandma was German and Irish. So a real East Coast, a real New York-specific mix. I remember when I, was, when I moved out to LA, my friend Stanley was like, Italian and Puerto Rican. He's like, there's only one place that happens. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's my mix. And uh, my... Abuelita lived in New York City. She lives in Manhattan by herself for up until like my freshman year of college. And then she moved back to Puerto Rico after her mom passed away. Wow. So um, my dad's whole side of the family, like they grew up in Brooklyn. They had actually um, fled Puerto Rico when my Abuelita was younger. There was, there was all kinds of family drama. Like there was murder, there was, there was things. And uh but they went, they gradually went back. So now my dad's, he has a couple cousins still in New York, but his immediate family um, all lives in Puerto Rico now. Okay. And where he's in New York? Uh, my parents live in Pennsylvania now. Okay. okay. Like pretty much smack in between New York City and Philadelphia. Got it. All right. And then now you live, you live in California. I'm in Oakland. Yes. Okay. Okay. And you've been there how long? Since October, I was in Southern California for almost eight years. Yeah. Um, it was never my vibe. I always tried to like make it. I was like, it's beautiful. It's such a mirage down there. It's like, I really feel like I should like this so much more than I do. <laughs> the salsa community in LA is actually what kept me there for probably a year or two extra than I really mm-hmm. needed to be there. 
Um, but then once COVID hit, it was like, without this dance community, mm-hmm. there's like, I, yeah. I, I kind of hate it here. So Southern California is tricky like that, right? It's, I know, like I feel so expansive when, you know, and I tend to go, so I go to um, the self-realization place, Yogananda's place, mm-hmm. and I check in for like a few days in silence. Um, and yeah. not now, but you know, usually in my life. Um, and I would go and love it and also be like, yeah, I couldn't live here. I lived there. I lived right by that in Encinitas, right? You're yeah, talking about? Yeah. I've been going there since like 2015 or something, 12 maybe. Yeah. I lived in Carlsbad and Encinitas both for a while, for like three years. So I used to walk around the meditation gardens there all the time. So yeah, beautiful. It's amazing. The energy is amazing. Um, it, you really feel the energy there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then the people are just like, it's so white. Yeah. So maybe white. That's, and it's maybe so that's spiritual it. Right? it. That's it. That is, it's not rooted right? It's not rooted. That's the part because it is an expansive energy. I would definitely say that. Um, And even the way that Yogananda set up um, the place, it lacks roots. um, If I can critique um, Yogananda. (laughs) How bold are me? (laughs) I actually have existential conversations with him. So I feel like maybe I can. Um, but, but I think it's also, it was like a product of the time, mm-hmm. you know, in 1920s, he couldn't really bring the roots of Hinduism. He had mm-hmm. to sort of blend everything and you see it in the way that, um, the community is set up. Um, okay. yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So, which kind of leads us to being rooted and being embodied, which is your jam. And I wanted to have this conversation with you because I really just wanted to, you know, we're living in such a critical time yeah. and we're living in such a, like literally such a speeding up of people's awakening, whether they want to or not. Right. Like the gone are the days where it was a choice to wake up spiritually. And I just wanted to dive into the conversation of why you feel embodiment um and sensuality um are essential to to this time um i will answer that question with a story because um on in my experience i am a really um i have a very active mind but i've always been so much I've paid so much attention to my body over the course of my life because I played sports growing up. I got into fitness when I was 12 years old. In my 20s, I became a personal trainer. Like, I didn't discover like subtle body work or energy healing though until like 2011, 2012. And like a lot of people who's like gateway into that stuff is like Reiki and like Abraham Hicks. Like that was that was my entry point. Um, And once I started to understand and work with like the subtle body more, I had also uh, been salsa dancing for a couple of years. I'd been to some pole dancing classes. I'd also had some physical experiences of like sensuality getting unhooked from sexuality and, and having some experiences of 
feeling myself, feeling truths, feeling wisdom, having emotional release and awareness that came from being more energetically open and being more sensually aware and open and connected to my body and realizing that I'd spent so many years on like fitness and nutrition and again, paying attention to my body and focusing on my body, but not listening to my body, not knowing how to listen to my body until it literally started speaking to me through these different practices, these different tools, these different modalities. Um, and as well, around that time, I was also just exploring different, like, you know, world religions, different types of mysticism. And I came across this book called Awakening Shakti by a woman named Sally Kempton. And one of the sources of shame my whole life was that I didn't feel like I was like feminine enough, right? I was always very like, I'm a New Yorker, I'm assertive, like I'm tough, I'm really sensitive actually and soft too. But most people see the exterior. I was always, I'm kind of built, you speak the language of human design. So I have that 6-2 profile. So I, I'm kind of oriented towards, I've defined G-Center, defined through, like, I don't necessarily care so much. I'm single definition, what other people think, like that stuff doesn't phase me so much quite naturally. And so um, I got a lot of feedback over the course of my life. I still do just differently that I was intimidating and all this stuff. And so I really ingested like society's image of like women need to be like, dainty or prissy or girly, which what was so conflicting about that for me was that my body was always so like, I'm putting this in air quotes. I know people are only listening to this, but like traditionally feminine, right? I'm very curvy and voluptuous. And I like literally always have been. I started growing boobs in the third grade. So, um, you know, all that stuff adds up to, I'm reading the Awakening Shakti book and I come to the chapter on the goddess Durga with her eight arms and all the different, all the different implements and the different arms. And in that book, I believe she's, she's riding a lion. Um, I've seen her in other places wearing a tiger. And she's a warrior goddess, but she's also the divine mother. And I'm like, hold up. I can be multidimensional like this. Like I could be fierce and have that mother energy. Like this is, this is actually my, this makes sense to me. If this is also a form of, again, air quote, the feminine, then I have actually always been feminine. I've just been feminine in a way that our culture isn't like advertising as viable, acceptable, or even something that exists. So that was so big for me. And that's what really inspired my body of work to bring together and bridge together all these different things. Like I'm a big synthesizer, right? So that's how Wild Soul Movement came to be. And then if you fast forward to 2016, like the morning after the election, when Donald Trump had been elected, um, I had this like literal full body, like download slash feeling of grounding. And like this message of your work just went from being like nice to have to this is gonna be crucial going into the age that we're moving into. And then as well, again, it was on, I call it insurrection day on January 6th, where it was like, damn, the embodiment piece 
is so regulating. Like my work isn't technically trauma healing, but it's super trauma informed. And like people being able to regulate themselves, people being able to ground, people being able to tap into their own inner wisdom in an age when there is so much gaslighting, so much misinformation, so much to sift through to even understand like what's real and what's not real is actually crucial. Because if we can't, there's so many inputs coming, we have to be able to develop our own discernment. We have to be able to hear like the wise inner voices and access our own, I call it two things, the divine support squad, right? All the divine beings of light that love us unconditionally, however it is that you experience God or the universe. And then also that ancestral council, right? Like your own ancestors, your own benevolent ancestors. So it's, I, I took us on a whole journey there, but, but that's literally how many things come together around why I think and why I've experienced now doing this for almost eight years with thousands of women all over the planet is so crucial. If I wasn't interviewing you, I would have interrupted you like a thousand different times. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, let's uh, unpack some of those things. Yeah. First yeah. of all, I have so many questions for you. Twenty? Do you have the twenty thirty four? I think so. Okay, yeah. So that's is that the self love one? Um, no, but the self love is. Oh, I can. If you have the self love one, of course you're doing this work. Yeah. What's that one? Is that like 22 something? It's 10. I have that one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's that, so that came up in my reading last summer. She was, she was like, actually like you are, you are here to teach people self. That's one of my favorite gates because it's such a journey. Like self love in and of itself is such a journey. Yeah you know, and, um, that journey, witnessing another human going through that journey, um, is like one of the most beautiful things and embodying that and being a teacher of that. Um, it's like, it's, it's, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that. Oh, the and, 12, I just pulled up my chart. It's, it's the 1222, right? Um, yeah, that's like grace. Um, grace. It's yeah. Great. And I have the 2034 and then the 10, yeah. 34 connects in there also. Yes. Yeah. It's the 2034 that's intimidating people, but like, got it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> okay. Other human design question. Not that I was planning on going here, but, um, so, um, so you have, um, defined solar plexus. Yes. Okay. So that's why you're like, I don't care what you think or what you feel. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Now to back to your work. Um, <laughs> The differentiation between sensuality and sexuality. Yes. Can you can you speak to that and why it was important for you to make that distinction for yourself and for the people who are are with you? Yeah. So this has and actually, you know what? I'm I'm working through a deeper, a much deeper layer of this in my own life right now, which is around. Um, I am single. I'm 37. I've had a lot of relationships in my life, a lot of lovers in my life, and I don't want kids. So I'm in like no rush and I love my like I call it I call it being like delightfully without consort. I am not someone who's over here like, "Oh, why am I still single?" I'm like, I'm I'm getting there. You know, for people who are into astrology, I'm also I have like three planets in Sagittarius in my seventh house of committed partnerships. So I'm like, this like 
learning as I go and freedom being so important and like navigating all of that is, is such a big part of my journey. Um, and as a person whose body developed at such a young age, I have been fending off the male gaze since I was like 10 years old. You know, I remember being like 12 at my friend's pool club and getting hit on by a 17 year old and being like, I'm 12 and the look on his face. You know, I remember getting horns honked at me when I'm crossing the street by like grown ass men when I was 11 years old going to softball practice. So there's this piece of being sexualized and objectified long before I had any context or had given any consent for that, that drives that in a way where it almost felt like, and as well, if you want to add the layer on of being raised Catholic, um, if I would buy anything like tight or form fitting, it would like disappear in the wash. You know, my mom was about like being modest and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. My body is shaped like this. I'm sorry this culture makes that mean sex, but for me, it's just my body, you know? Like, that's one of the reasons I became a tomboy. I could play sports, I could wear basketball jerseys and baggy t-shirts and sweatpants, and I could cover it up because I didn't want the attention. It was like so burdensome and bothersome. And in my 20s, when I started getting into more serious relationships and exploring like sex and pleasure and things like that, it was like, this, this is amazing, but this could also be a tool for manipulation. You know, like I remember being out and like, I just always got a lot of male attention, which when I was younger and it was an ego thing, that felt like power, right? It felt like I could get any man to do any friggin' thing I want, blah, blah, blah. But once I got into more erotic types of movement, I was like, oh, the first, first pole dancing class I ever went to was a Sheila F Kelly S Factor class. And in S Factor, they don't have mirrors in the studio because they're like, this isn't for anyone else's gaze. This is for you. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Like the idea of just having my own experience of my own body without having to fend off anyone else's gaze was like truly life altering for me. And also such a relief you know, to just be in a dark room where everyone else is just doing their own thing. And it wasn't just me either, but like the whole room of women just celebrating their sensuality. So it wasn't about being turned on sexually. It wasn't about being sexually attractive or desirable to anyone else. So that was where I realized, oh, these things, of course, coexist and overlap in many ways. But if we just separate it, and allow ourselves to experience, especially the sensuality on its own, it's just so rich. And there's so much detail and information and wisdom because like that's, that's where our psychic senses live too, right? It's like we have our physical senses and our psychic senses. And I came through my experience to realize like, oh, this is how we have a two-way relationship with God, with our ancestors, with all the beings because we, that's how they communicate with us because we could feel, we could sense, you know? And that is not always in the context of sex. And do you specifically make that distinction for the people that 
work with you to to begin the, the not the not the separation, but the almost like the unthreading yes. of what yes. we pull pulled together as one. Yeah, yeah, because Wild Soul Movement is, it's a sensual movement practice. And last year I opened up a membership, the Embodied Living Center, and I had actually done an erotic movement arts training. And so I started teaching erotic body classes as well. And we talk about the erotic in the context, if anyone is familiar with Audre Lorde, the, she has one of the greatest things I've ever read about like true eroticism is her essay from Sister Outsider called um, uses of the erotic, the erotic as the erotic as power. And she talks about like all the levels, right? It's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, it's political, like it's everything. But what it's not, what the true erotic is not is porn, which is what our culture has absolutely co-opted and turned it into. So it's this coming home to what we know to be true about, you know, of course, when I'm moving my body in this sensual, non-linear, like undulating way, if someone was watching that, it might turn them on sexually. But if I'm just doing it for myself, all kinds of things, I can have emotional release, I can regulate my nervous system, I can access parts of myself, I, can, I have permission to be and express parts of myself that are not necessarily safe just out in the wide open world. So that, that safety of community is what maybe safety circle protection and guidance is what you're, what you're offering people to begin to awaken that part of themselves that, I mean, for, for most of our modern life, that's not something that is, um, valued. Yeah. I think of it in, in a lot of ways, like sensual discovery and exploration, right? If I move my body this way, what happens in the rest of my body? Well, what do I feel or what's happening? Like in Wild Soul Movement, especially, I always tell people, regardless of the theme that we're working in a given class, release always happens. Even often when I start teaching for like the first few minutes, I'm yawning. Like that's my body's release. That's like the energy is moving. It's like, ah, oh, we're, we're in wild soul movement space now. Like I can let go. I can relax, you know? And sometimes eyes water, people actually cry or have emotional release. Um, tummies rumble, gas burps, like all the things like pain dissipates often. Um, we have a lot of people in our community of like chronic pain and things like that. And they're like, this, this actually really helps me drop into a space where it's not that the pain goes away, but it can alleviate a little bit or things like that. And as well, what's also really important why I started studying trauma is body memories. Things come up, things get released. Like we hold all kinds of emotion and trauma in the body. And so I always am also reminding people if something comes up, if you have a memory, if something gets triggered, you let me know. And if you don't already have a resource for support, like we will figure out how to get you one. Because as, as we get into these deeper layers of sensuality and the body, of course, things are going to rise up to the surface to be dealt with. And that's not a bad thing. That means you're ready. So there's just, the body is so miraculous, you know, like there's so much available in there. And when you got into discovering the subtle, what 
drew you there? I mean, you said Reiki, and mm-hmm. but but why did you do that? I was actually dating someone at the time who was a Reiki master, and he he got me into it. He got me. He bought me my first crystal. It was a labradorite, and um, you know, he introduced me to like subtle body energy, and I was like, what? And it's one of those things I didn't realize until years later. I was like, oh, I've always been working with energy. Like I've always been reading people. I've always been sensing. I just literally did not have a context for any of it. So as soon as, and the book, I'll say that like was so monumental for me was Carolyn Mice's um, Anatomy of the Spirit because I was raised Catholic. And part of what she did was she looked at like the seven main chakras when the seven sacraments and Catholicism. And I was like, what? (laughs) And that's when I really started to get into mysticism because I was like, oh my God, all these traditions are essentially saying the same stuff, just with a different cast of characters and a different set of stories in different areas of the world and times and whatever. And I was like, oh, it's all so beautiful. And there's really not one right answer or approach or philosophy. And with your work, um, you know, we were chatting a little bit earlier about how you have a framework of your work. Can you, can you talk about that? Which part of it? The, your embodiment work, like sort of like what's, what's the journey that people go through as they begin to awaken this part? So I have, I have a framework for self-love and the embodiment, I have just many different embodiment practices for people. Um, and I teach people, you know, grounding and cord cutting and sensing, you know, I will share, which I think you'll appreciate this. From oh, the first few years, I had developed this yes, no truth practice. And then once I discovered human design, I was like, this isn't going to work for everybody. This is really only going to work for the people who have sacral or emotional authority. And one of the reasons I started questioning it, you know, I do everything by experimentation is some people were like, oh my God, this works. This is amazing. And some people were like, I'm not feeling anything. And I'm like, huh, how come those people aren't feeling anything? It's like, oh, those are like the splenic people or those are like the, you know, the different types of authorities. And I'm like, got it. So I had to edit it and be like, this will not work for everybody. But what does work for everyone is everyone, everyone gets sensations of truth, right? Like when resonance, everyone has those. But the yes and no part, I was like, okay, that's going to be different for some folks. But um, the self-love framework, I gave a talk at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in 2017. They asked me to talk about self-love. And what was so interesting is the girl who invited me to give the talk is someone I had been connected to for a number of years. At that point in my work, I was never specifically talking about self-love. In fact, because I, that rebellious part of me that never wants to like do what other people are doing, I specifically wasn't talking about self-love because so many other people were. And I didn't really like the way a lot of people were talking about self-love. And because like, it's all like red lipstick and bubble baths and cute underwear. And I'm like, that ain't it. But um, so I got invited. She's like, yeah, I feel like your work is all about self-love. And I was like, it actually is, but it's the embodiment. It's the practice of self-love. So I created this framework for that talk. And it's self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-acceptance, self-trust, and self-respect. 
um, those practices, which all feed in and feed back and into each other, which also includes boundaries, like that's how you actually practice and embody self-love. And what IIN does is all of their all of their annual conferences go into their training portal. And so for the next few years, every time they had a new cohort, I would just get like a dump of like Instagram followers and people tagging me like, oh my God, this is my favorite talk in the whole training. And I'm like, damn, I got to do something more with this. So I actually did a podcast series last year and I changed it. I had called it Untamed Self-Love for my talk because my website for many years has been untameyourself.com. But then last year when Glennon Doyle came out with her book Untamed, I just didn't like my website is still Untame Yourself because like I've had it since 2015 and like all the SEO and stuff is over there. But um, I changed it to embodied, the embodied self-love framework. And I created a little mini course for it. And that, I love that framework. And then many of the embodiment practices that I teach and I have in the Embodied Living Center um, support people through each one, right? The self-awareness piece, self-knowledge, like getting, who am I? How am I built? Discernment feeling for what yours, except like all that stuff we work with in Wild Soul Movement um, mantras as well. And we combine the movement with the mantra to help like deprogram the mind and upload the programming that we actually want in there. So um, obviously all of my answers are long-winded. I also have Gemini in like four places of my chart, so. No, I love it. <laughs> um, and then I know, so, you know, I, um, maybe I critique a lot of people. I'm sorry. Um, I'm I just like realizing it. that I'm going to throw out another critique that I have um, of Marianne Williamson, which I really do believe that um, A Course in Miracle and um, A Return to Love are beautiful philosophies um, that we need. And also what I've seen in some of those philosophies is that it also lacks that embodiment piece. It lacks the, um, the work, the journey of seeing the body as a temple also. Yes. yes um, yes. and I know that you incorporate the Akasha. And so can you tell me like how that fits in with embodiment? Oh my God. I love this question. And yeah, you know, you and I were talking, I think this was offline. I don't know. It'll be part of the interview, but I lived in North County, San Diego for a couple of years where that's, I imagine one of the capitals in the world for spiritual bypass for people who were like spewing and regurgitating a lot of philosophy, but not actually like living, embodying, practicing, and doing the deeper rooted stuff, which I, I believe that we have to look at collective and individual healing, right? There's no, we could be doing all of the individual work we want, but if we're not also considering like the impact on the collective, what's the point, you know? And you, you know this, people could just get all, all light washed, all whitewashed, and it's like, are you like people are sitting around talking about changing the world and it's like, well, you might be shifting things in your little spiritual, mostly white bubble here. But if you're not even considering what's going on in the rest of the world and how things affect other people and other people's lived experiences, of course not. Right. And so there is, um, when I was creating wild soul movement, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. 
I, some of the practices, some of the movements, combining movement with mantra, these were things that exist in modalities and technologies like somatic experiencing or kundalini yoga that I didn't know anything about. But I was, you know, building them into my practice. And then someone would be like, oh, this reminds me of this. And I'd go look up that thing and I'd be like, damn, there's a whole thing. I didn't know. And when I started working in the Akashic Records, I was like, oh, this makes sense. That is the, that collective field, like all potential possibility, all knowledge and experiences forward and backwards in time, past lives, all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, 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 oh. It's just like, feels like we're pulling it from the ether, but we're pulling it from the Akasha, you know? So I am, what year was it? 2018. Fall of 2018. I'm, I'm pretty good at like processing my own stuff, but I was having an experience where I just, I was feeling like un, really unclear, like uncharacteristically unclear. And a friend of mine recommended that I get an Akashic Records reading. And when I had the reading, not only was it super clarifying, but it felt like I was just bathing in this field of unconditional love for the 45 or 60 minutes or however long the reading was. And so it wasn't just, because again, I'm such a sensual oriented person. It wasn't just like what happened, the experience, the information. I was like, the felt experience was so beautiful and so loving. So I had a couple more readings and then it was like the third or fourth reading I was getting. One of my questions I brought to ask was, should I be incorporating this into my work? Should I be working in the Akashic field? And it actually came up before I could even ask the question. So that was, that was a big yes. So over the last couple of years, I've done like over 300 Akashic Records readings. And I have to say, being able to sit with people in a field of unconditional love and compassion and just access things that they are not accessing on their own, right? Because people have their own stories and narratives and whatever, but like everything, people bring the most tender stuff and the most beautiful, it's so, we cry together, like, it's just the most beautiful friggin' thing because it's, it's like what you were saying about bringing things into the body. It's, it's fully human and fully divine at the same time. For me, that's like where both, where those places meet. And it's just so, I don't know. It's the most beautiful, no matter what I'm ever doing in my work, I feel like I'm always going to keep space in my schedule for those one-on-one readings. Cause it's just like the most precious time I get to spend with people. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of um, of the records, um, and you know, I don't know, I don't know how other people see it, but because it's a Sanskrit word, I and and Ganesha is the the record keeper, the the mm-hmm. the, the the guardian of the records um, in Hinduism. I am a big fan of it because I I feel that just even in the notion of how people, you know think of Ganesha as remover of obstacles. Well, what is that really? It's really about um, accessing truth, accessing love, accessing solutions. That's what, when we remove obstacles, that's really what we're doing. And I really, um, you know, this is another conversation, but I really feel that part of our shift collectively from moving from this um, mirroring paradigm that we're actually, you know, moving to something that is more loving Mm. Um, and the benevolence that we can find in the Akasha um, feels like that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't 
even describe to you how healing it is for people to be regarded with the immense compassion that is available in the records, you know, because there, there, I, some people come, people ask questions, people are sharing about like affairs or things that they've done that they're so ashamed of. And the response is, it's like they're braced for being made wrong, right? Like they're expecting like a finger wagging answer. And that's never how it comes through in the records. Yeah, beautiful. So given that this is the moment in time that we are in humanity and, you know, we're talking about returning back to ourselves, returning back to love and in all the ways, the body, the Akasha, (laughs) um, all the things like what, what would you want to leave people with? What message would you want to leave people with? And so it's the message that's always been the core message of everything I do, which is that everything you've ever needed has always been inside of you. And I specifically, sometimes people ask me, why don't you say everything you need is inside of you? And I say, I like to emphasize that it's always been that way. So you can realize that it's not that there's ever been anything wrong with you. It's been that you just haven't been able to access it. And the reason you can't access it, it's, it's life, it's conditioning, it's beliefs. And if, if all that stuff was put on you, that stuff can also be taken off so that you can access what's in there, you know? So like, just like that idea that you, you literally have everything you need, all the wisdom, like so much more, you know, than you, you think or you might feel or you might have been raised to believe is available to you. There's like, there's so much. There's divine inheritance. There's ancestral wisdom. Like there's so much. Um, and I feel like that speaks to what you were just saying about this shift into this just more loving, generous, compassionate way of being where we realize and understand we're all built so differently. You know, this is why I love human design. We can be like, God, we're so different. Rather than making each other wrong for that, we can, we can be generous in our assumptions. We could be like, well, if everything I needed has always been inside of me, it's been inside of you too. And maybe I don't need to like blame you or think you're an asshole. I could just be like, got it. You're not accessing this. Maybe I'm at, it just gives us a place to meet each other, to meet ourselves and to meet each other. That's much more curious and full of possibility for like healing and connection than like friggin' making every ch- making everybody wrong and like separating everybody and, you know, just hunkering down in our factions. And, and what would be the thing that you would say to somebody who says that sounds nice and I don't know if I have space in my life to do that. Like what, what's, what do you say to that? This is where I get to be like fierce love and big sister that says, well, what, what are you making space in your life for? Like, that's kind of where you get to bust out the how's that working out for you question. You know, this is, you can make whatever choice you want to make and I'm going to respect it. I'm never going to tell anyone you should or you shouldn't do this, but look at all the things you do make time for. And if you're not happy, if you're not satisfied, if you're not, if you don't know what your values are, and if you do and you're not living in alignment with them, if you're not being who you want to be, we got to shift. We got to make some room, make some time. And it takes time. Like this is a lifelong commitment and a lifelong journey, peeling back all the layers, right? No one, you don't need to be perfect about it. You don't need to get it done in 90 days, but are you willing to like step on, step on the journey? Are you willing to have a better experience? Because 
that's, that's what it looks like. It has to start somewhere, you know? Yeah. I love that. It's tough love. So you like embody graceful love or grace filled love, compassionate love, Akasha love and tough love. It's all the freaking love. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for this. I really, really appreciate your, your energy, your voice, um, your message and um, the importance and the timeliness of, um, you know, of being there for others. I, like you, also got the kick in the ass when Trump was elected and that's when I published my book. I was like, oh, 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 this cannot wait anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, I appreciate, I really appreciate everything that you shared. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening today to the Women on Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Asha D. Ramakrishna. So that other people can find us, please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. A special thanks to Jennifer Kalsa Schimmel for the music that you hear today. And as always, come on over to Facebook, find us Women on Purpose podcast so that we can continue this conversation.
Thank you so much for listening today to the Women on Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Asha D. Ramakrishna. So that other people can find us, please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. A special thanks to Jennifer Kalsa Schimmel for the music that you hear today. And as always, come on over to Facebook, find us Women on Purpose podcast so that we can continue this conversation.